Podcasters, This is Kate from the Blob of the Hut podcast. Hi, this is Arjuna Gonzalez from Peace Island. Hello, I am the Robo Gonzalez 9001. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. Hey, Chris Carroll here from the Comic Zombie podcast. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Gabe here from the Every Marvel Movie Ever podcast. I'm Tyler from The Coordinate, an Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Matt and Buffalo from Upper Pylon 2, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Paul Salt, voice man over at One Good Thing podcast, and here's my two cents on The Force Awakens, starring Simon Pegg. Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. The Force Awakens opening night in 2015 as part of a seven movie marathon at the theater. So I think it started at like midnight and, you know, we all watched every single Star Wars movie straight through. And by the time episode seven came on the next day, we were pretty tired, but it was amazing. And it was really cool to see everything that we'd waited so long for. My experience of first watching the movie, well, this is the first time I've seen Star Wars Episode Seven, so uh, it was just like with Episode Three. Um, watched it in front of the TV that I watched all the Marvel movies for Casters Assemble uh, Season One for. Again, Robo Gonzalez dressed up as R two D two, and <laughs> while I was loading the Blu-ray into the PlayStation Three. Robo Gonzalez and Handsome Harry had a little uh, lightsaber fight. Oh yeah, I, did I mention Handsome Harry is a huge Star Wars fan? Yeah, he totally is. I first went to see this under bad circumstances. Me and some friends were very keen to see it at the BFI IMAX, which, for anyone not living in London, is the largest IMAX screen in Europe. Um, it's, for me, possibly the centre of true cinematic experiences in my life, which is why I don't go and see just anything there. Um, in fact, it's pretty much just Christopher Nolan movies and Star Wars now, because those are the only movies actually filmed in IMAX print. Um, I tend to avoid, yeah, the latest Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie that's been blown up and shown there. But, um, because this was the very first Star Wars movie in ten years, and the first good one in about thirty, there was a huge rush. And my friend was only able to score tickets at the 5am screening, uh, the Saturday after it was released. So, we did an all-nighter, we went and saw Krampus in an empty cinema, because everybody was busy watching Star Wars. And we walked over Waterloo Bridge in the middle of a freezing December night, and at 5 in the morning, we watched Star Wars The Force Awakens. And I remember really liking some of it, but being disappointed 
that it had such a uh, similar structure and aesthetic to the original Star Wars. Um, I saw it again, better rested, and this time thought it was the best Star Wars movie ever made. It uses the structure of Star Wars 77, true, but it uses it to tell a completely different story about a very different and interesting set of new characters. Um, Rey's journey is just more interesting than Luke's, Kylo Ren's potential um, is more involving than Darth Vader, his potential as a character. Uh, the supporting characters are given plenty to do to, uh, to do to make this world feel rich. The comedy is great, the aesthetic feels new, but is also completely Star Wars, and everything else is kind of just followed in its footsteps, with one exception. Uh, the action is compelling, and the pacing is just flawless. Um, in the four years since the release, it's only really slipped down one place in my ranking of the Star Wars movies, which we shall talk about later. The hype was unbelievable coming up to this movie's release, right? We were all so excited about it because Star Wars was coming back. It was coming back under new leadership, and it looked really good. Uh, this is one that I really did my best to avoid the previews for. Um, I didn't watch trailers on YouTube. I didn't see them at all until my wife and I went and saw uh, Despicable Me 2, I believe, uh, at like the $5 theater in Tigard, was, was playing it cheap. And so we went to see it, and the trailer for Star Wars played before it. And I couldn't look away. Just, I mean, the shots of, like, uh, the, the shots of, of what I thought was Tatooine, but turned out to be Jakku. Uh, the R2-D2 and the fire with Luke's hand. Like, just all of the stuff in that trailer was incredible and totally sucked me in. So I was really, really excited when we went to see this one. And you know what? I loved it. So this movie's really special to me, and it's not because I think it's the best movie ever. I mean, it's a really good movie, but it's just all of the hype around it, like before, after, during, I guess. Um, I was just really into it, and this movie's made like a large impact on my life. Um, I had just started dating my now wife around the time this came out, um, so I was excited about Star Wars and I met her family. And now for every holiday or birthday, I get Star Wars presents, even though I like I like Star Wars, but I'm not like the added to Star Wars that that's all I want. Um, also, I was super excited about the movie and I got a cat. So, of course, I named him after a character from Star Wars. And um, yeah, his name is Chewie. He looks nothing like Chewie. To be honest, he looks a lot more like BB-8. He's white and orange and has three legs, so you know a few less of those, and he'd be rolling around. Now here, I remember the tr the release of the trailer more than anything uh, about when I first was exposed to this movie. I was working as a postdoc at the time in one of those laboratories that just spans an entire length of a building with all these bays that go off a central hallway. And at the end of each one of these bays is the students or lab techs computer and you can look down all the way down and see all these computers all lined up with all these heads and they're all working on excel or putting together graphs or whatever and i remember word came out and we i think we knew the trailer was going to release that day and word spread around that ooh, the trailer actually had dropped and i remember very clearly putting mine on and looking down this row of you know probably 10 15 people, something like that, something crazy. And seeing this trailer all pop up on all their computers and everybody tuning in to watch it. Obviously, being in a biology cancer research lab, it kind of concentrates the nerds, I would say, you know, 
nicely. And everybody sat down to watch that. And everybody with their minds blowing and kind of walking around talking about that one scene of the Millennium Falcon doing that crazy, crazy, uh, overly shot spin move through the air. Now cut to the release. Now this is a little hard for me to remember what the official story is for my first time seeing it. Because all these movies release in December. And when the trailer came out, that was what, the summer or something like that? And in between there, I left my postdoc and started my current job in industry. And one of my best friends works with me there. And these movies always come out in December. And at that point, we are always off on vacation because we have use it or use, use it or lose a vacation time. So come December, most of the office is pretty empty. So we do take that as an opportunity to go and watch some movie in, you know, um, 11 o'clock AM showing. And I always go with my buddy, but sometimes because our scheduling doesn't quite work out, we don't see it until like a week and a half after release or something like that. So I don't want to wait that long. So I tend to sneak out beforehand, see it by myself, again, also in an early showing, and then play all naive and then pretend like I'm watching it for the first time with my buddy. And I'm pretty sure I've done this for this movie, Last Jedi, and Rogue One. And when I actually watch the movie for the first time and when I tell people I watch it the first time, is a little bit different. It's kind of my own tradition for all these movies the force awakens is the first star wars movie i ever saw in the theater i am only 16 right now i was alive for revenge of the sith but i would have been one or two years old so 10 years after the fact when i was 12 or yeah i think i was 12 when this movie came out i was so pumped to see it i was more hyped than i've probably ever been for maybe anything in my entire life I was so deep in the speculation because this movie was something people loved and still love to talk about who Ray's parents were, what Kylo Ren was, like all that stuff before that movie came out, after that movie came out. It was my favorite time of internet speculation that I've ever been around for. In fact, I had a, this is embarrassing, but in the fifth and sixth grade, I had a movie review blog and I wrote a review for The Force Awakens. It was it was the Review Dome. And so that's how excited I was. And I remember we had this class where we would write articles or whatever. It was like an extra period. Not even an elective, but my middle school had extra periods. So I was so excited about my review, I read it out to the whole class. Yeah, you can kind of understand how into this movie I was. I saw it four times in the theater. I think the number of times I've seen this movie has only ever been topped for me by The Last Jedi, actually, which I saw five times. Having having grown up on the original trilogy and really you know growing up loving the original trilogy, I, and being someone who is like a fan of film does not appreciate when people go back and change them so much. I can deal with remakes and reboots all you want, but I don't really appreciate changing the original uh, version and I understand the the director's intent of like you know this isn't quite what my vision was and I want to fix it and it's this bug and I have this bug in my brain about it and I have all this money and I can do whatever I want with it it's my thing but really once it becomes what Star Wars became it's not the creator's sole thing anymore yes he owns the right to it but really it belongs to the fans at that point and the special editions really did not 
sit very well with me. I appreciated the fact that they allowed a whole new generation of fans to see these movies in theaters. I certainly wasn't old enough to see them, so I did see the special editions in theaters and really felt like a sucker paying the second and third time. I went to see episodes one and two in theaters. Did not, you know, I'm, I'm glad some people liked them. I didn't enjoy them. Um, episode three was a little bit better, but I, by this point, I had a really low opinion of Star Wars. I did not really, you know, it seemed like the only version I liked was the only one that no one was ever going to get to see. So when they announced episode seven, uh, I was a little skeptical. Well, no, I was a lot skeptical. At this point, I was like, who cares? Um, they announced J.J. Abrams was going to be in charge. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. Then he confirmed that they were bringing back the original, we'll call them trilogy of characters. Well, the original trilogy characters in general, you know, the whole gang. And got really excited, you know, and because what we always wanted to see, or at least what I always wanted to see after seeing Return of the Jedi a trillion times as a kid was what happens next, you know? After the Empire Falls, what happens? The Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Luke's a Jedi now, but is he the last Jedi? And, uh, you know, what? what's up with him and Leia being brother and sister? That came out of left field. There's got to be something going on there. Like, what happens next? And so when you get Episode 7 and they're saying it is a follow-up to Episode 6, yes, it's much later because, you know, it's been what, 40-something years, roughly, 30-something years at that point. It was really exciting. And you see the first trailers, and you get really excited, and you get really excited. And the movie is really good. Uh, I really do like it. But at the same time, it's not quite, I guess, what I always wanted to see in that long period where there wasn't anything new being made. You know, what happens next? And yes, it is kind of what happens next, but it's really more what happens after what happens next. Um, and, and while I do like the new characters quite a lot, I think they're really cool. I do think the movies are somewhat underserved, I guess, or disserved by featuring the original trilogy characters, even as heavily as they do get, even though that's not that heavily. Um, just because anytime you see, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca on the Millennium Falcon, or you see Leia and Han interacting, or you see Luke do anything, um, it's you kind of be, oh man, I want to see what to do next. I, you kind of want to see more of the movie you're not seeing. And Seven does a good job of keeping Han in the action and Chewie and everything like that. And that's enjoyable and appreciated. But it almost becomes, you know, you, you want to see the movie you're not seeing more than the movie you're seeing. I talked about that opening theme with the title crawl on the last episode I was on, which was For A New Hope. Hearing that in a theater is an unrivalable experience. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Every time, I think that's a big part of why I saw Force Awakens and Last Jedi in theaters so many times is because if I can go hear that theme and see those words fly across that screen in a huge theater with Dolby surround sound, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. So yeah, I'll see all the movies 20 times. Why not? It's surreal. And I couldn't imagine how people felt when that happened in the prequels, and I definitely couldn't imagine being there for the first time when it happened in 1977. Honestly, my favorite music cue was the opening crawl popping up again, just because I, I wasn't sitting there going like, man, this is going to be bad again, you know, for like the sixth time. It was kind of, it was, uh, it took me back a little bit, and I really liked that. Right off the bat, this movie's got one of the coolest scenes, I think, in all of Star Wars. Um, it does start with something confusing, though, because it's like it's saying in the opening crawl that, like, 
uh, one of the best pilots is on his way out to an old friend of Princess Leia's, and and we meet the guy, and Poe's talking to him, and he's like, uh, General, to me, she'll always be royalty. And I was watching the movie like, who, who is this? Do we know this guy? Was this somebody we knew? And I, I gather that it's not. I mean, maybe it's an expanded universe thing, but I don't think it's like supposed to be one of the minor characters from uh, Return of the Jedi or anything like that. It's just, it's just somebody new. Ma- Max von Sydow. I was, I had no idea he was in the movie, and I was kind of a little bit giddy when I saw him show up right at the beginning. But that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about one of the coolest moments in all of Star Wars. What I'm talking about is, of course, the entrance of Kylo Ren where he freezes that blaster bolt. Poe takes a shot at him, Kylo Ren just puts his hand up, and the bolt stops in midair. And then some stormtroopers go up and they grab Poe and they bring him over to Kylo Ren and he walks by the blaster bolt. And you're just like, oh my God, this just it's just frozen there? like, And it's crackling? It's, oh, it's so intense and it's so cool. And it's such an excellent entrance for Kylo Ren, who I think is really kind of a cool villain. He's terrifying. Uh, in terms of his power, he is, he is not so powerful with the Force, and he has no self-control whatsoever. You see that when he finds out that the droid got away, and he just <laughs> ignites his lightsaber and hacks a computer console to nothing, and uh, all while the guard is like standing there just like watching like, Eeeh. My favorite dark side moment would be during the village raid near the beginning of the movie, where Ren freezes the a blaster beam in midair uh, and it's you know just hanging in midair and sort of floating around as they're dragging Poe over it was just an incredibly cool special effect to see uh, even compared to some of the stuff we saw in episode 3 which would, I guess would be the most recent Star Wars movie before this. It's like so cool it's something we've never seen before uh, not even in games I don't think I remember seeing like someone grab like a blaster fire like that and it immediately establishes him as a threat and it shows his power and he kind of like undoes that later. But at that moment, he's like real scary. Well, he's scary for other reasons later because he's a complete psycho, but yeah. I really love Kylo Ren. I think he's the most compelling and interesting character in this entire franchise. I love Adam Driver's performance. I love the outfit. William's theme for him is amazing. So yeah, from here on out, my favorite dark side moments are actually going to be my favorite, my favorite Kylo Ren moments. So as much as I love the power of Han's death scene, and the humor of um, Kylo Ren's tantrums, I'm going to go with his introduction into the franchise. His big scary ship lands, and he has that cool voice as he interrogates Max von Sydow, and then he looks cool as he kills Max von Sydow, um, and then he stops a blaster shot in midair which is something we've never seen before and is just awesome. And the sound effect it makes is it's kind of like sizzling in place and that he's using it as a, like a interrogation device was really, really creative. And it's you know a really cool way to start the movie off and show that this is a whole new kind of thing. A lot of people say that this is the quippiest Star Wars movie and I know a lot of people get annoyed by that. And I have complained in the past about useless quips. I really enjoy the do you talk first or do I talk first? I like Bo Dameron a lot. I think he's been extremely underutilized in pretty much both movies that he's been in so far. But that's a great moment. It's an amazing... It's not technically the first line, because the first line is delivered by the great Max von Sydow, but it's still a wonderful moment in that movie. Best music cue? It's gotta be uh, Ray's theme on the desert planet of Jakku. 
I think uh, it first starts when she's scavenging in the middle of a crashed star destroyer, but like um, you kind of hear it as uh, she's journeying across the desert, and I don't know. It's a really cool theme, and it's uh, they kind of do a lot of good um, character building without a lot of dialogue, if that makes sense. It's a bit more subtle at points in this movie, but the musical score is once again super on point. There are some a number of really lovely musical cues throughout this. Ray's theme is very much at the center of that, and you can see that it's been showing up as a reoccurring uh, motif through a lot of these movies, of course. Just gorgeous. It's kind of humble and playful, and it really bespeaks a character who's full of energy and charisma but also has something just a little bit tragic about her. It's probably the best new theme that Williams has composed. Favorite supporting character, it's got to be, I don't know his name, but it's Simon Pegg's monster character in the four credits. That guy, that's a terrible, don't do that. He doesn't sound like he's from New York. One quarter portion. But um, it's got to be Simon Pegg's nasty looking uh, alien character. Um, whose name I forget, but the guy who's always asking for credits and wants to buy BB-8. I think he's really cool looking and uh, uh, definitely a really cool creation on the puppeteer's part. Good luck knowing that was him, unless you kind of knew that somehow. One of the cool things about Force Awakens is that it gives us some great reintroductions to characters that we love, right? We meet... C-3PO again, we meet R2-D2 again, Han and Chewie, Um, we meet Leia again, and at the very end we meet Luke again, but none of those entrances are nearly as cool as the reintroduction to, I mean, maybe the best fictional vehicle ever created, right? It's the Millennium Falcon. I love the introduction of the Millennium Falcon, because what happens is, uh, Ray and Finn are run away from the stormtroopers. They're attacking Jakku. They know that they've got BB-8, and they're like, oh, we got to get away. And they're running to this ship, and she's like, that ship will get us out of there. And if you're watching the movie, you're like, and you've seen the previews, you're like, oh, is it the Millennium Falcon? Are they running the Millennium Falcon? Oh, my God, the Millennium Falcon. And and Finn's like, what about that ship? It's closer. And she's like, that? It's a piece of junk. And then they keep running, and then the ship they're running to just gets exploded. Very much dead. Very boom, gone. Goodbye, ship. And then... And then uh, Ray's like, all right, the trash will do, or the junk will do, whatever it is. And the camera pans over, and it's the Millennium Falcon. And you're like, ah, that's the junker. I, I dig it. Uh, it. So that's that's like, it's a nice, fun moment. But then you get this cool chase scene across Jakku where uh, Ray is piloting the ship, and Finn's on the turrets, and they're like flying through these crashed star destroyers and things. It's a really excellent chase scene, and it's got some cool stuff with like, Ray is super competent in a way that you're like, oh, and you hear the force music in the background, right? Uh, because you know, like, oh, shoot, she's got the she's got the force, man. She totally, she's totally got it. So I like that. I like, I like the entrance of Molly Falcon. I like that chase scene. It's good stuff. My favorite ship slash vehicle, I, I gotta give it to the Millennium Falcon again. It's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I noticed they've slightly changed in this episode, like the look of the TIE Fighters, for example. The X-Wings seem to be pretty much the same. Uh, the Star Destroyers are a little bit different. But ships are by and large the same as they were in the original trilogy. Um, and yeah, the Falcon looks a little bit older than it did in the last episode, which I appreciate, but 
it still manages to steal the show. My favorite vehicle, I mean, honestly, the, the thing that made me really excited was to see the Millennium Falcon on screen again. That was really cool. Uh, but, you know, the, the, all the kind of updated takes on the old vehicles was really sweet. So if not the Millennium Falcon, I'd say to see the X-Wings again. That was my favorite. First Order Star Destroyer. It's, like I've said before, uh, to me, the Star Destroyer is one of the best designs in the entire series. Um and the nice thing about these new movies is that the First Order is really just kind of like a mo- slightly modified uh, version of the Empire. So there's definitely some changes here and there, but it looks enough like uh, the original that I, I don't know. I think it works. Now, I would have actually liked some new ships and vehicles. Um, a lot of them are just repainted versions of the old ships, which for the First Order makes a, to- makes a lot of sense. Um they're trying to establish authority for a sort of cult of recognition from the days of the Empire, kind of copying their style in order to kind of steal the authority that they had, so it makes sense. The best new ship or vehicle is probably Ray's bike. Um, I love the way it just floats. Even when the engine doesn't seem to be on, that works for me. It's a floating bike because it's a fantasy, and the engine just makes it go forward. It doesn't make it, you know, float because it just floats on its own. I like Kylo Ren's command shuttle. That thing is kind of pretty sweet looking. It looks like a bat and it really goes along well with his goth personality. My favorite ship from this film is definitely Poe and Finn. Uh, From the minute they meet, they have chemistry and I want to see it go somewhere. And I feel like it's so there. Like uh, when they get back together, like they realize they're both alive and uh, Poe lets Finn have his jacket because it looks good on him. Like, there is a connection, and I want to see that explored more deeply. Poe and Finn, who all ship forever, they have more chemistry in their first minute of meeting than I feel like Obi-Wan and Anakin did throughout the entire prequel trilogy. I think that's a testament to writing. They have more chemistry in their first scene together than Anakin and Padme throughout the entire prequel trilogy. Put me in that boat of wanting a uh, Poe and Finn relationship. I'll ship that one, yeah. Um, also, speaking of Finn, I fostered a cat and uh, like around the time this came out, and its name is Finn now, and it also has a sibling named Kylo. They're both girls, but they have a brother named Vader, so that's, you know, you thought the Skywalker family was screwed up. This one's real screwed up. But they're cute. One of my favorite lines is when Han Solo and Chewie first walk onto the Millennium Falcon, and uh, Han Solo says, Chewie, we're home. And I love that line because every time me and Chewie come back from the vet, I go, Chewie, we're home. I think my favorite, most memorable, least necessary characters in The Force Awakens are uh, the Guavian Death Gang and Kanja Club. Uh, You meet them when uh, Han Solo uh, has just found the Millennium Falcon again, which is so exciting for him, but oh no, then here come some people who are calling in debts for him, and it's it's the Guavian Death Gang shows up first, and they're like, ah, you owe us money because you borrowed money to get these Raftars, and it hasn't gone well, so you gotta pay us back, and we hear you borrowed money from Kanja Club as well. And, And 
Hansel goes, I never made a deal with Conja Club. And then he goes, tell that to Conja Club. And then Conja Club shows up. I just, I like these guys who are just like, oh man, I'm so sick of dealing with freaking Han Solo. He keeps taking our money. We never get a return on our investment. He's just this like weird dude wandering through space making bad deals. And I'm tired of it. Eco UA and Yayan Kruyan. These two guys, I was... I will admit, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more of them in the movie. These two guys are absolutely amazing Indonesian action stars. Go watch The Raid, The Raid 2, and every other movie that they're in. Because they are just, one, they're actually good actors. And two, they can kick everyone's ass in every way imaginable. So when I saw they were going to come into this movie, I was thinking like, uh, super great action Sith Lords or something? Come on, give me what they're going to do. And then they all get eaten by Wrath Tars. My favorite minor characters would be the Wrath Tars. So I am a big fan of the HP Lovecraft universe, and to see these creatures that, like, have giant gaping mouths and tentacles flying over where more so than the Snorlax in Return of the Jedi or the trash monster from A New Hope, when you add to that, uh, I picked up at least some vague Nostromo vibes to Han's ship. You know, the Nostromo, the ship from the original Alien movie. It gives those scenes some eldritch horror vibes, which I really appreciated. I think it, this scene's especially good because you get the, the great moment where Han Solo, they're like, you know, we're, we've, we're tired of you backing out on us. And like it's happened three times, and he, or it's happened twice. He goes, "Who was the second one?" <laughs> and then he, there's also a moment where he's saying to Chewie, "He's like, I'll talk my way out of this." And he goes, "Yes, I do, every time." Oh man, now I want a Star Wars Lovecraft crossover. Which that doom maps at strange eons. It reuses the trash monster from Star Wars Dark Forces, but anyway. I love seeing Han Solo's transformation from, you know, just a cocky pilot to, you know, a wise mentor in this one. My favorite quote is when he says that he thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo, a magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light, crazy thing. It's true. The Force, the Jedi, all of it. It's true. It's true. The Force, the Jedi, all of it. It's all true just the way he delivers it like he's he's remembering a very warm and fond memory he's got that little smile it's beautiful this is one of Harrison Ford's best performances incidentally in ever um I really love the idea that they kind of stick with with this trilogy which is that the events of the original trilogy are now a set of stories and mythos that'll allow the new characters to kind of take a surrogate place of the audience us reacting to these characters that they've you know that they have venerated who are revealed to continue to be alive you know, for us. I think that's used particularly well in The Last Jedi, where they really start to challenge the sort of heroic status of these characters, but the effect here of him saying this is kind of like saying to the audience, many of whom will be new, who haven't experienced a Star Wars movie on the big screen before, this, it, this is real. For all of you who weren't alive when Star Wars first came out, this is how it felt. It actually is magic. The Force, the Jedi, all of it. It all feels like this like Star Wars feels, and it's unique in that, and I feel like that's just such a powerful 
thing and this is some real really great moment of quiet but very powerful faith instilling bravado here you have harrison ford seeming like he actually gave a crap which i'm gonna say is not necessarily a guarantee with him especially with this character his age all that kind of stuff he came in and i think did a great job setting off his character he immediately came in and you could see how Ray could just like really fall for him as like a father figure pretty much instantly. He's basically like the Yoda kind of in this movie. And the the young kids are looking up to him and getting the history of the Jedi and everything that's happened in the universe. My favorite light side moment, it's probably the Han Solo speech. You know it. It was in all the trailers, not all the trailers, but the later trailers, the oh it's true, all of it, the force, the Jedi. It's a wonderful moment. It's great to see this guy, and I'm not even talking about Han Solo, I'm talking about Harrison Ford. This guy who hates Star Wars come back and talk about all the dorky shit that we've wanted to hear him talk about for 30 years at that point. And it was just, it's its a wonderful moment. There's that line in A New Hope that I love, which is, Hokie religions and ancient weapons aren't no match for a good blast stretcher side. This is kind of him growing as a character and coming full circle because I think The Force Awakens is really more Han's movie than it is Rey or Finn's. And it's, spoilers, it's obviously his last movie. Side characters, I really like Maz Kanata. Uh, she's not just a cheap Yoda ripoff, she's a millennia old pirate who's just been living a rough and tumble life and knows how to look after herself, and you, and you should listen to her. Um, she's connected to some mystical stuff, but only really because she's been around the block a few times and she knows the score. She's a very down-to-earth character who's savvy and knows what's best for you. Uh, like a space mum. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o's performance is just perfect. She really captures the idea of this sprightly old soul. And um, yeah, I hope we get to see more of her in the final movie of this trilogy. What an awesome character. She's probably about the same age as Yoda, has a lot of stories to tell. And I would love to see some more of those explored. My favorite droid moment would be the big reveal of R2-D2 when BB-8 takes that cloth off of him. Uh, BB-8 certainly does have its moments. Um, Arjuna especially liked the Fonzie-esque gesture that BB makes uh, when Finn is trying to get him to back up his lie about him knowing where the resistance base is but i I gotta admit i stand for r2d2 and i'm looking forward to future bb moments and i can compare the two droids but it's just i I love r2d2 too much man so my favorite light side moment would be when ray has been captured and ren is trying to get the last fragment of the map to Skywalker out of her head. And they have this battle of the minds, I guess you could call it, that is every bit as tense and exciting as any lightsaber duel in this episode. And she ends it with what is probably my favorite quote of the movie. You're afraid that you will never be as strong as Darth Vader. I will say Kylo Ren doesn't really seem to measure up to Darth Vader as much uh, thinking about Darth Vader in A New Hope and when he was introduced. Like, he barely choked out one admiral. I don't know. 
He takes after his grandfather, but more in the emo kid phase in episodes two and three. Anytime Kylo throws a tantrum is pretty much my favorite dark side moment. I mean, it's kind of comical on the one hand, but it really tells a lot about his inner turmoil and how he's not in control of his emotions. Best supporting character definitely has to go to the Stormtrooper played by Daniel Craig. I think that's an awesome cameo. Um, there's obviously a lot of really subtle cameos, but that one is just, it's such a good scene. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he sells it. And maybe my favorite line is, that's not how the Force works, which I don't need to recount and butcher that whole sequence. You all know it. (laughs) My favorite quote is Han Solo to Finn, where he says, that's not how the Force works. I don't really have the context for that. I just thought that was funny. My favorite quote is when uh, Han Solo, Finn, Chewie are on Starkiller base. And um, Han Solo finds out that Finn doesn't know what he's doing. And Finn's just like, we'll use the Force. And Han Solo's like, that's not how the Force works. That's great, because he used to not believe in the Force. Best dark side moment? Probably when Kylo, spoilers, kills Han Solo. That was kind of a rough scene. I mean, it was very well done it was definitely earned and i really want to see uh, chewbacca get revenge on kylo after witnessing that it's heartbreaking and um yeah it's really a defining moment for both characters which reminds me of my favorite quote when han solo tells ray it's true all of it i think that line really demonstrates how far Han Solo's come as a character uh, because, you know, back in episode four, he was very skeptical, let's say, of the Jedi and the Force and all that. But because of his experiences in the last however many years, 30, 40 years, he's really come a long way. And that's, I think that's some good character, uh, character growth. It, it's when Han Solo dies. How could it not be? Um, we see Starkiller Base kill billions of people and just don't care. But when you just see that one person that you know in this universe and love, and you just connect with them and they get killed by their son, like that was like, that's painful. It's hard to rival when Starkiller Base blows up what, like five planets, maybe including Coruscant. I know it's not literally Coruscant, but everyone at the time kind of thought it was and I still like to tell myself that when I watch it now but even though that's genocide on a scale that the Empire never dreamed of watching Kylo Ren kill Han Solo is one of the most intensely emotional things I've ever seen in a theater rivaled only by Infinity War and Endgame probably it's a hard thing to see this character that's been loved by generations before I was even born Watching him be murdered in such a vicious way, it's probably the most memorable moment of the entire film. And it's interesting that these later movies, The Last Jedi and what looks to be The Rise of Skywalker, it looks like they're going for some sort of redemption arc with Kylo Ren, but I don't know if they can ever fully redeem the man who killed Han Solo in pretty cold blood. 
There's theories that Han killed himself with that lightsaber because we don't see who ignites it. But that look of shock on his face before he falls into an abyss, this is horrible to say actually, but my Gmail profile picture is that face that Han makes while he's being stabbed. I'm a monster, but I don't even know what you can say about that moment that hasn't been said. It's one of the most beloved characters in cinema being murdered by his own son. That's all there is to it. His own son who was failed miserably by the hero of the last, well, of the original trilogy, Luke Skywalker. My favorite light side moment is actually my favorite moment in all of Star Wars. Han is dead. Uh, things are looking bleak, but the heroes have, have prevailed against the, the planet-destroying superweapon, um, and, and it's, it's in the process of exploding. And The gang have become separated from Chewie, I can't remember how. Rey is down, and Finn is fighting for his life against a much more experienced fighter, Kylo Ren. Finn's tried to make his stand against Kylo Ren, which was really cool, but he's kind of hilariously outclassed there. Finn, you know, stands up to Kylo, even though he has absolutely no training. Um, this is the first time he's ever held a lightsaber, and he's going up against someone who is trained and, you know, has killed a lot of people with his lightsaber. So it's, uh, it's a pretty bold move, and he, he kind of holds his own for a moment, and it's just a sheer bravery. But of course, you know, Kylo's uh, kind of caught off guard, but, you know, he quickly kind of regains his composure and makes quick work of uh, Finn. Kylo Ren easily manages to put Finn down, really just kind of playing with him and drawing out the punishment because he considers him a traitor. All seems lost. It's a bad time. On a production side of things, we haven't heard any of uh, John Williams' iconic themes since Han died some 10 minutes ago. It's actually been um, a sort of functional or even no subdued soundtrack since then. The forest is dark where this is taking place. The color palette has been reduced to black, white, and a little bit of red from the lightsaber. It's very grim. He realizes that um, Finn is using his grandfather's lightsaber. And we established earlier on that he's obsessed with living up to Vader's legacy. And, you know, he considers Luke and Anakin's lightsaber as like a relic that is rightfully his because he is essentially a Skywalker. So he reaches out to to reclaim his heirloom. But the last step between him and sort of fully capturing control over the Force, really, it feels like. The lightsaber twitches. Something's wrong. You can see it in Ren's face. Suddenly it flies at the camera, almost hits Ren, who ducks out of the way, and it shoots off screen and is revealed to have snapped into place in the hands of Rey, who stands rigid and shocked it just sails right past him because it called to Ray, and she was the one the lightsaber went straight to. So a lot of history with that lightsaber with Anakin and Luke and now Ray. So that was a very cool and interesting moment. As she looks at her at the lightsaber and turns it on, filling the scut the screen with this tremendous blue light, as a haunting and familiar theme plays. As a matter of fact, it's the music that played when Luke discovered his aunt and uncle's charred bodies back in um, the original Star Wars. Uh, it's a very dark moment that sets Luke upon his journey, and here the same theme is being repurposed for this somberly triumphant moment in which Rey learns that she's much more powerful than she ever believed she could be, and that the universe has a place for her, and that is to stand between this man and his goal. 
And that discovery of power and purpose by a character who thought that they were nothing is everything that I love about Star Wars. It's the hero's journey refined down to its purest, and this is the best example of that in the entire saga. And to see, you know, Ray I almost called her Daisy, to see Ray kind of come into her own and, and really stand up to this guy that she really shouldn't have any shot at fighting was really cool, um, and it shows that she's really in tune with the Force, or at least powerful with the Force, because she's really got no training at this point, and is able to hold her own against a very well-trained Sith Lord at this point. Um, it was a really cool moment. Is he a Sith Lord? I don't know. Um, let me rephrase that, just because yeah, you know the nerves are back. He's not a Sith Lord. It was kind of cool to see that she must be like immensely powerful in the Force, and a lot of those scenes in the movie, like where she's you know, fly the Millennium Falcon kind of by reflex really, really well. And she's able to fight this Luke Skywalker trained Jedi, Dark Jedi or whatever. I'm not sure if he's a Sith Lord or not, but, you know, she's able to really hold her own and, and not necessarily beat him, but she wins. Uh, it's a really cool moment. Such an amazing moment on so many levels. Uh, you know, it's kind of the first time we've seen something like this in Star Wars. It's a little overdue, obviously. But it's um, it's a really great character moment, and it just yeah, it's awesome. It's one, it's probably one of my favorite moments in the entire Star Wars franchise. And the fight that happens between them is, I think it's one of the coolest lightsaber battles in all eight nine movies at this point. So yeah, this uh, this lightsaber fight is a lot more visceral than a lot of the ones we've seen previously because yeah. Kylo, who's very um, a bundle of rage and emotion, um, and then you got Ray, who um, has like this innate skill, but she's not very trained. She hasn't honed it, but she's obviously very strong in the Force. Yeah, it's kind of a cool matchup. I love um, the setting and uh, the way they use it in the scene because um, they're in the woods and it's snowing, and you kind of see the heat emanating from both of their lightsabers which i thought was a really nice touch like you can almost see like particles of snow like evaporating off of the sabers and um yeah the lighting's really cool um yeah i just i love that whole scene ray catching that lightsaber out of the snow that's another moment that i think people went really hard for when it came out and it's still wonderful because even though now we know who catches that lightsaber i know a lot of people at the time were like oh it's gonna be luke or something kind of like how he got that lightsaber in the Wampa Cave out of the snow. That's just an amazing moment, a great music cue. It's a beautiful moment and leads to maybe the best lightsaber fight on screen that we've ever had. Don't at me. I also really like when Rey taunts Kylo Ren and tells him that he's scared that he'll never be as powerful as Darth Vader. Just that mention of the name Darth Vader, a character that we've seen parodied a thousand times and we've seen the movies so many times, hearing his name for the first time in 10 years is very jarring and really scary in a way. I kind of compare it to in The Last Jedi when Luke says Darth Sidious. It's not really a thing that you expect to happen, but he says it, and it's really menacing in a weird way that most movies couldn't make me really feel that way just at the mention of somebody's name, but both of these movies in the new trilogy have succeeded in that.
for my favorite musical cue, I'm going to cheat and say Jedi Steps slash end credits. I love Jedi Steps. Um, for one, because I actually got to visit Skellig Michael in Ireland and walk the Jedi Steps. But also, it just has such a mystical and kind of like uncertain feeling, which was so different than anything I'd ever heard in Star Wars before. And then it goes right into the end credits, which is amazing. And it has some of my other favorite tracks, which are Ray's theme and March of the Resistance. I am so glad I got around to watching The Force Awakens, man. This is as good as anything in the original trilogy. I walked away from it thinking, this is a Star Wars film. Um, When I read some of the reviews of it when I was ordering the disc off Amazon... Some of them criticized it as, like, just a redo of A New Hope. And I can kind of see why some people might think that. Uh, especially since, I mean, come on, Jacko is Tatooine. You're not fooling anybody. But by the end of the movie, yes, they're, you know, destroying a giant Imperial base that can destroy a whole planet. But it, by the end, it's different enough that it didn't feel unoriginal. When this movie came out, it was like it was like a warm hug from a family member that you hadn't seen in like 20 years. A lot of people like to complain that this movie was too similar to the original Star Wars movie. And I get what they're saying, but that was kind of the point. I mean, this was after the prequels, which were obviously not what people were hoping for. Uh, to say the least. And this movie came along and the whole point was to kind of reassure fans of the original movies that um, we get it. You know, this is um, this is the Star Wars you remember. This is the Star Wars you love. And the thing is, it's I mean, yes, tonally, it's it's similar to the original movie, but there's a lot of very distinct differences. And I, th- I think that's sort of the charm of this movie is it feels familiar, but it's also not probably sounded better in my head than it did when I said it out loud, but I'm sticking to it. To me, this really does a lot of things. It's a huge nostalgia bomb for fans of the original trilogy, um, but it's also a really great introduction to a new generation. And Ray, characters like Ray and Finn are not only good characters in their own right, but they're kind of something that the series has been missing up until this point. And I love it. I think I think representation really matters. And I think to take one of the biggest uh, franchises and make your leads, it, it, like to actively choose to not have another white male protagonist was a brilliant move. The casting is absolutely masterful with this. Each cast member is wonderful and they nail their individual characters just perfectly they become like the iconic person in each one of these not only that the chemistry between each one of them is fantastic and then kylo his interactions with everybody they're just all so clear and interesting right off the bat and not only that it's they can do all the great emotional stuff that not necessarily everybody could do in the previous two trilogies of this you can see they're giving adam driver quite a bit of 
dramatic meat to work with here. And I think he does a great job with it. You couldn't always say that about some of the leads in the previous franchises. I love them. Each one kind of is great in their own little ways. But here, I think they're just that step above. The top four, obviously, are the clear standouts here of Ridley, Boyega, Driver, and Isaac. They are all amazing. Really liked the addition of uh, BB-8 and and the whole new cast of characters. I really like Ray a lot. Um, I love them bringing back the mix of digital and practical effects. I think that was sorely missed. The over-reliance on CGI in the previous, uh, really, six films because of the re-release of the special editions, the big, you know, uh, sin those movies created in my eyes was the over-reliance on CGI and adding CGI scenes that weren't needed and and so on. So that's a whole different thing. But to see them come back to what made Star Wars great, you know, the use of, I don't know how much miniatures they use on Episode Seven. I doubt they use many, but the use of that kind of practical thinking and building this world and making it look lived in and like a real place rather than static one-shot CGI green screen shots over and over and over uh, was very exciting. So I, you know, I, I give the movie a lot of credit where credit's due. It's a very good movie. I like that it introduced a whole new generation of people uh, to these, you know, these characters in this mythos and this universe. And uh, I love the fact that, you know, there's now a character that little girls can look up to that can kick some ass. And there's, you know, uh, an African-American kid who's a stormtrooper who's now a hero and all these things. Like, that's cool. And I appreciate the representation they're giving everybody and, and allowing everyone to feel like they're part of this massive universe. I appreciate that. The movie is stunningly beautiful. And here, if this wasn't the seventh movie in this franchise, and frankly about the millionth science fiction blowout spectacular movie, the imagery here would be as iconic as those original trilogy movies, in my opinion. Just think of it. The broken Star Destroyers on the surface of the planet were all inspiring. The planet, uh, Starkiller Base, and then every bit of all the action in between. Um, the battle at Maz's um, temple around the lakeside. It's just quite beautiful stuff. This is, I think, what the promise was of that original, or uh, the prequel trilogy. Revisiting this dated kind of Star Wars universe. It was very 70s, let's admit that. But now let's visit it with modern technology and see how it works. And the prequels probably weren't ready for that. They bit off a little bit too much than they could chew with all the CGI. Here now, it all feels so real and so tangible. I'm sure there's more CGI here than we would ever really think. Just little augmentations or whatever. But it felt so much more real and not sterile sterile like the prequels. It just is beautiful to step into the modern Star Wars universe. And that goes for, well, this one was the first one to start it. But Last Jedi, Rogue One, Solo Movie, and now The Mandalorian. Seeing this world kind of polished in the right ways, it's wonderful. This is an amazing start to a trilogy. There's a lot of controversy. I'm really nervous about the Last Jedi episode because people have opinions and I have opinions and I don't totally know how I feel about everything. Sometimes I feel pretty tired with everything that goes on behind the scenes and in front of the scenes in a lot of cases with these movies. The Force Awakens is a movie that no matter how many times you target it and you nitpick on it, for me, it doesn't do any wrong. I think it's... It's not a perfect movie, but to me, it kind of always will be. I don't know if that's tethered to my experience with seeing it for the first four times or my good memories I've had watching it since the theater, but 
I don't care why I think that. I just think it's a wonderful movie. And a great start to the trilogy. Maybe too many mystery boxes, but like I said, this was a time where fan speculation was running rampant in a very good way. I think between this and Batman v Superman, which... These two movies went very opposite routes as far as quality and payoff, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Those were maybe my favorite movies to speculate, so around late 2015 and early 2016. I'd put Civil War in there too, actually. This is what Star Wars needed, though, most of all. After the prequels, which people were mixed, and... 10 years without a Star Wars movie in the theater, a live-action Star Wars movie in the theater for you Clone Wars fans. This is the breath of fresh air, and this is such a cliche thing to say about this movie, but this is the perfect, perfect move on Disney's part was making this movie. People loved it. It made billions of dollars. It was the highest-grossing movie ever for a time. Or maybe that's not true, but it was up there. And you can absolutely see why. It's a wonderful film. I honestly, I think it's probably the best introduction to Star Wars now. Um, I, th I think that if you want to get somebody to watch Star Wars, have them watch Force Awakens. Because the prequels are a tough place to start. Because, you know, eh, the story's not that great. And the originals can be a tough place to start because, the you know, they're dated. They're very dated at this point. If you didn't grow up loving them, coming into them now can be a little bit tough. The Force Awakens, it looks great. It's got fantastic action. It's got a terrifying villain who's interesting and complex. And I think it's just a great movie. And I watched it with my son. It was adorable. While he was like two days old, uh, he was sleeping on my chest while I watched The Force Awakens. So he's heard The Force Awakens. He hasn't actually seen it, but he's heard it. Podcasters Assemble, probably, Season 2, The Rise of Podcast, is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. This episode, edited and produced by Tyler. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com. And learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble, Probably, by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to places where you can find them all online. Podcasters Assembled Probably will return in Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Having a child makes you become a crazy person because you just don't sleep. It's been a week. He's six days old. He sleeps. He's sleeping right now. I don't sleep. Don't. Nope. Mm -mm. No sleep for Troy. No sleep for Troy.